welcome back to the Worship Team Podcast. My name is Alex Infiegin, and I'm your host today. If it's your first time ever listening, we wanted to say welcome and thank you for tuning in. Our podcast exists to help you as a worship leader or a worship team member be the best that you can possibly be that you might better bless your local church. We really want to strengthen the local church across the globe. And it's been cool seeing people tune in from literally all over the world, uh, Philippines, Russia, um, Canada, That's kind of another part of the world, right? Anyway, welcome. We are glad you're here. Um, Today is episode six, and today we are talking about something near and dear to my heart, which is playing in parts, arranging a song, learning how to play as part of a team, uh, and really becoming more professional in our musicianship. The reason this is near and dear to my heart is because a lot of musicians in church don't have this mindset of playing in parts because they are either hobby musicians or they, you know, took classical lessons growing up and now they're thrown into a band context and uh, it's it's kind of a different situation. And the, the only real way to learn how to play in parts is either to grow up playing in bands all your life or to be uh, someone who does musical recording And you're literally building a song track by track, layer by layer, piece by piece, understanding how all the pieces fit together to create a cohesive whole. So that's what we're going to be talking about and hopefully teaching uh, some of you today is how to play in parts and really sound like a professional band. I'm going to be having this discussion with my good friend Brenton Collier just because he's a good guy to be around. Now, this podcast is slightly longer than our normal episodes, and I decided to keep it as one episode because I want to make it easy for you to share. Like if you're a worship leader and you want to share this material, I didn't want you to have to send two links to your team. I just wanted to keep it all in one place. So that's why it's a little longer, but I think it'll be worth your time. So enjoy this great discussion with Brenton Collier my good friend and fellow worship leader. Hey everybody, I am here with Brenton Collier, my good friend and uh, fellow worship leader. He's at Calvary Monterey and I thought it would be great to have him uh, on the episode today because he's wise and it's way more enjoyable when he's around. So, uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we're going to be talking about playing in parts really, uh, understanding how to arrange songs as a band. And before we talk about that, I thought it would be wise for us to kind of define what we mean when we say playing in parts mm-hmm. uh, in the context of a band or, I mean, even in an orchestra or any sort of musical ensemble. What does it mean to play in parts? So I came up with this definition, and Brenton, you can pick it apart or tell me what you would Destroy add. Destroy it. Destroy it. <laughs> so playing in parts is this. Playing in parts is assigning specific roles, melodies, and rhythms to each instrument that interact to create a beautiful and cohesive whole. I'm going to say it one more time, though. Playing in parts is assigning specific roles, melodies, and rhythms to each instrument that interact with each other to create a beautiful and cohesive whole. So, would you? That sounds perfect. That that kind of encapsulates all of the different components, I think, and... uh, I think if some of that doesn't quite make sense, the more we talk about it, that'll begin to make sense a little bit more. Um, But I think you got it all in there. That sounds really good. 
Okay, cool. Because I think a lot of churches, like if you walked into, you know, the average medium to small church in America, you would probably show up and see a bunch of people on stage playing the same chords with the same rhythms and very little thought to arranging the songs and assigning specific parts. Um, Do you think that comes from, uh, you know, the fact that most churches use like a chord chart style you know, yeah. where it's just the chord and then it's just up to speculation how you play that chord, what you do with it. I think that's exactly the reason. It's like we give everybody a chord chart and they play the chords. Right. And it's not their fault. They're right. just doing what okay. is on the piece of paper there. <laughs> but after this podcast, you have no excuse. Right. So. <laughs> yeah, because really music can be so much more than playing uh, the chords on the chord chart. Um, I think playing chords on the chord chart is what you do when you're playing in your bedroom mm-hmm. um, or it's when you're leading by yourself and it's just you and your acoustic guitar or just you and the piano. And in that case, you do need to play the chords. You need to cover the entire sonic spectrum. You need to be the rhythm, the melody, the harmony, all of it. You need yeah. to be everything. But when it's in the context of a band, uh, you should not play the chords uh, or maybe... Well, everybody should not play the chords. Uh, you need to cut back what you're playing uh, and make space for the other instruments. Um, and, and not just cut back, but also actually like play something different and complementary to what the other instruments are playing. And I think that's what we're talking about when we say we're playing in parts. It's Really, it's playing something different and complementary to what the other instruments are playing. And yeah. we, we can talk specifics in a bit. Yeah, and I, and I think that's the difference between just hearing sounds that sound good, you know, and hearing a song, you know, hearing music. And, um, you know, we want to honor the Lord by, by you know, playing skillfully. And, and uh, you know, although someone in your church family might not know, oh, they're playing parts, they'll be able to enjoy, uh, you know, kind of what you're doing. So Yeah, they'll feel the beauty of the music, the way that it's been arranged. Yeah, Instead totally. of just hearing everyone play G, D, E minor, C. Right. Um, so when we think about music and a song and breaking it up into parts, um, one way I've heard it described is as a pie. And this guy that I uh, recently heard on a podcast named Dave Dolphin uh, describes the song as a pie or the, the music, the sonic uh, happenings as a, a whole pie. And then you cut that pie up and you give a slice to each band member. Mm. Um, and so the more instruments and the more members in the band, the smaller slice of the pie they get. Um, so meaning the more people on the stage, the less each person will have to play. Yeah. Or at least maybe not the less they'll have to play, but the simpler their mm-hmm. part will have to be. And the more conscious they'll need to be of the other people you yeah, know, with them. Yeah, t- totally. And, and the pie never gets bigger. It just You just have to cut the pieces smaller the more mm-hmm. people you add to it. That's so, good. Yeah, thanks for that analogy, Dave Dolphin. Um, and I mean, that's a sweet name, by the way. Oh yeah, super <laughs> cool. I love that name. Um, so if you uh, listen to any album, uh, you're gonna hear like multiple tracks, and each instrument is playing something specific. Maybe it's a specific drum beat, or a specific bass line, or a specific keyboard part. Um, there might be like a tambourine that comes in on the bridge, 
And all music, all good music, is arranged in multiple layers with multiple parts working together to create a cohesive whole. Yeah. And I think we want that in our music ministry too. And so we have to move beyond just playing the chords on the chord chart and start playing parts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, it, and it's going to make your music more in- interesting, more intricate, more moving, more powerful, and really more beautiful. And I think, you know, last time we talked, Brenton, we talked a lot about, like, God being creative and excellent, and we want to represent him. And mm-hmm. in, that, in this sense, God is a God of creativity, and we want to mirror him well by being creative with how we arrange our songs, so... Yeah, absolutely. And, and and I think for worship leaders and worship musicians, honestly, it's it's more fun. It's more enjoyable to be able to play songs that are just really uh, cohesive and arranged well. And I think anyone that enjoys music, if they're willing to begin thinking in parts and working on parts, they're just naturally going to enjoy playing together like this more than just coming and pounding out the first thing that they think of, you know? So it can really, it's really going to be a lot of fun, I think, if this is new for you. Yeah, and it takes, it takes more work mm-hmm. than just showing up and playing the chords, but it, the payoff is like way oh, yeah. better Oh yeah, for you and for your church, because mm-hmm. people have to listen to you, by yeah. the way. <laughs> so, okay, the first uh, step to really uh, beginning to play in parts is to start thinking in parts. Mm. So... Think in parts. So instead of saying, okay, I know the chords for the bridge, the chords for the bridge are G, D, E minor, C, you got to scratch that kind of thinking from your mind and you need to start saying, my part for the bridge is this riff up on the neck at these frets and I turn the overdrive pedal on for this part of mm-hmm. the bridge. That's what I do for the bridge and I do it every time. Mm. So in in other words, you figure out a specific part that you play for each section of the song and you always play it the same. Yeah. Um so you have a specific part for each section section of the song, you always play it the same. For example, if you're a piano player, on the first verse, I play this progression of notes on the piano. Notice I didn't say anything about chords. I play this little riff. Okay? In the chorus, I always play whole notes with uh, a note ch- with the note change on each chord change. Mm-hmm. On the second verse, I play this repeated pattern up high on the keys, and on the final chorus, I change the the patch on the keyboard to the organ sound, and I play something else. So you've you've assigned. You're not thinking about the song or the chords. You're thinking about this is what I play in each section of the song. These specific lines, melodies, rhythms, you've assigned each section of the song something specific. Yeah, and even just hearing you describe that, Alex, like, I just imagine that song just being so much more rich and so much more just enjoyable and pleasant and, and uh, you know, uh, for both the player and the listener. And, you know, there are a lot of songs that have the same four chord chord progression not just for the bridge but sometimes even the whole entire song is the same four chords over and over again so imagine as a keyboard player just playing those triads right in the middle register of your keyboard just over and over and over Um, there might be a time that's the right part for that song but it could also be about the most boring thing you could play for that song yeah, too. Like, yeah, I'm just imagining the piano player playing, pounding the chords yeah. for the entire five-minute song. It's like, yeah. oh, kill me. Yeah. You know, so I think 
thinking in parts means assigning a specific thing that you do to mm-hmm. each section yeah. of the song. That's huge. Each section, not the whole song, but each section of the song. Right, and obviously all the parts uh, that each band member is playing need to work in conjunction with the other instruments too. You know, not just sound cool by themselves. Because mm-hmm. and this takes fore planning by the leader. Mm-hmm. Um, because like if the keyboard part that you come up with is really jazzy, and then the drummer comes up with the part that's all rock beat. Right. You know, so that's why you need a leader to like give direction and yeah. like, hey, this is what the song should sound like, and this is where we're going. So I'm going to assign the parts to you guys as needed. Yeah. So and a little word on that, uh, if you're a worship team musician and you've taken some time to work out a part for a specific section of a specific song you get to rehearsal five other people join you your worship leaders there you get to that bridge you play your part you nail it but your worship leader who's listening to everyone all collectively says hey man you know what that didn't sound quite right uh it was a little bit too you know up high and a high frequency or something Hey, don't get your feelings hurt, you know? It's okay. That's going to happen. Uh, you know, it's it's up to the worship leader or the, the band arranger or the music director to be listening to everyone. So you've got to work on your parts, but also, you know, be willing to change them, be willing to let them go, too. Yeah, and I think it, that's a really good point because you need to think of your worship leader as a producer. Mm-hmm. Like, he's producing the song or she's producing the song, and they have something specific in mind that they're trying to accomplish, and what you're doing might not be adding to the whole. So if they tell you, hey, play something different, don't get your feelings hurt, just trust that their vision for the song is going to be awesome and you get to play a part in that vision. Yeah. And and that's an encouragement to worship leaders. Like if you're not thinking that way, time to start thinking yeah. that way, right? You got to start thinking of yourself yeah. as a producer of a live band yeah. and putting the parts together. Can I throw in something here? Yeah, totally. Here's a little exercise for you if you're a worship leader, something that I really enjoy doing because I, I, I enjoy producing music and recording music, is get a good pair of headphones, you know, where you can really, some good high-quality headphones. Pick an album you really like. It could be a pretty simple instrumentation album or something with a lot going on. And just listen carefully through the whole song. Listen to how many guitars there are and how many different parts those guitars are playing and what different effects are on those guitars. And I think when we listen to music we enjoy, it just hits us and we enjoy it. But if you really listen with the producer's ear, you'll begin to hear all of these wonderful textures and layers. And that really, for me at least, sparks creativity and inspiration that I take to my band rehearsals. And and uh, it's just a lot of fun, you know, and enjoying music in a little bit of a more specific way so yeah that's super good Uh, we're going to talk about learning to listen uh in a second and so thank you for bringing that up uh the the last thing i think we need to talk about as far as uh thinking in parts and this is this is what you're saying is like Mm -hmm. if you learn to understand and listen you'll understand about thinking in parts and one thing that you guys need to think about is how does my instrument help build the song Mm. like um, the songs usually start and grow and climax at some point. Yeah. Um, and so you have to think about your instrument and say, how does what I'm playing help build the song throughout? Mm. You know, maybe you need to add a new instrument at this section or a new sound at this section or a harmony comes in at this section or change your part a little bit um, as the song progresses. Because each new texture and each new layer 
and each new part builds the song and hopefully takes it to a crescendo mm. or a climax. And so yeah. you need to ask yourself, how does my instrument add to this section of the song and to the song as a whole? Like, does this part of the song even need me? Because sometimes, honestly, Brenton, sometimes the best thing a player can do is not play. Yeah. So that when you come in later, it really makes the song take off. Oh, absolutely. I, I like to tell my band, like, hey, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to play that card too many times, so to speak, or we don't want to throw down all our cards right away, so to speak. You know, you want to save some pieces to bring in so that when that time comes, it's really impactful, really meaningful. Yeah, and I, the way that I say to my band is, hey, don't give it away too soon. Mm, yeah. You know, like, don't, we don't need to build that quickly. We don't need to add that part quite yet. It needs to come in on the last course because... Yeah. It's going to take us there, you know. Yeah. So you, you had brought up listening. Mm-hmm. And I, I, in the next uh, way that people can grow in understanding their parts is learning to listen. So I went against your rule and gave it away too soon. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. Learn to listen. Uh, so a really, really good, if you're like, if this is all new to you and you're like, hey, I've always just been a chord strummer. Well, a really great way to learn how to build a song and how to play parts is to listen. So like yeah. Brenton said, go get your favorite song and put on a really good set of headphones and start to listen as closely as possible and analyze all the different things you're hearing, all Mm. the different parts, all the different melodies, what instruments are being played, the sounds that they're using, and start asking questions like, why does that chorus lift right there? Did a tambourine come in? Did Mm -hmm. an electric guitar come in? If it did, what is it playing? Why is that out chorus so catchy? Did a keyboard part come in? Um, is it playing? What's it playing? What kind of melody is it playing? Mm. Uh, just start asking questions like, why does this part of the song, you know, make me feel the way that I feel? And then you'll start to analyze what the instruments are doing to make you feel that way. Yeah. Like, wait, why do the verses feel so mellow? Which instruments dropped out? Who's not playing right here? So start analyzing these things, and soon you'll learn really what makes current music work. Yeah, and, and this is kind of a twofold exercise, I think, because this you can do this as a worship leader just to really hone your listening skills and kind of inspire your creativity towards parts. But I also do this uh, just when I'm preparing especially a new song to bring to our team. And uh, I'll, I'll take the map of the song, you know, verse, verse, chorus, so on. And I'll make little notes for each section, you know, uh, drums, bass, acoustic in verse one. Mm-hmm. Chorus one, add electric guitar, you know, hollow chorus, down chorus or whatever. I'll go through the whole map and make some notes so that I'm right rightly instructing my team as we're working through this song and it's not all spur of the moment it's like hey i like this arrangement i don't have to reinvent the wheel here so i'm going to see how this can kind of translate uh, so that would be a good you know thing to do just as a worship do you do that i do i tell my band when members when to come in and kind of what to play i don't give mm-hmm. super specific instructions although sometimes i'll say play the melody line on the piano exactly as recorded in the album or mm-hmm. if I come up with my own, I'll record it for them ahead of time so that they can learn that part. Yeah. Because I don't want them to just have to guess. Yeah. What about a song that has like 15 instruments and your band has five? Yeah, you got to pick the best, most key parts, right? Okay. Like, so if you're listening to Hillsong's version of Oceans or whatever, and there's like 50 different tracks, probably 100 tracks going on, yeah. um, each playing something different, subtle, you have to pick the key ones that 
are the most moving and that the people in the congregation are going to be used to hearing. Yeah. And you just need to pick that guitar line and that piano line. Yeah, and, and, and the general dynamics of this song always translate. You know, the general, it's big here, it's soft here. I mean, you can mimic that, whatever your team looks like, I think. Yeah, and you can also mix it up. Like, next Sunday, I'm doing a version of Oceans that's nothing like the album. Mm. Um, But we've come up with parts, and everyone's been assigned, like, this is what you play here, this is what you play here, this is the keyboard part, and we're going to play it, and hopefully it's great. And if it's not, then it's my fault. But at least we're trying to play in parts. But I think what Brenton's saying is really helpful one, another great way to learn how to play in parts is to learn it just like the album. Like, oh, yeah. learn the part as recorded. And then you'll figure out, oh, that that's how an electric guitar is supposed to be played. Yeah. Oh, that line works there, you know, because it's not stepping on the vocal melody, yeah. right? So. Yeah, it's that's so good. I mean, these are professional, industry-leading producers and studio musicians who are crafting these parts for these recordings I would listen, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's worth at least learning that part, whether it works in your context or not. Well, you've got to try to find out, but you may as well start there. Yeah. And as you start listening and learning to like specific parts, you'll start to learn what works and what doesn't work, and then you can create your own. But you need to have you need to start listening and learning kind of from the from the best in the industry. Mm, yeah. Absolutely. I mean I don't I don't record my songs and play my songs the way that the albums do most of the time. But um, it's a, if you're new to recording in parts and thinking in parts, then start there yeah. and go from there. Okay, so uh, the next thing about playing in parts is to know your role. Know your role. So, like, for example, if you're a bass player, your role is to keep the foundation, be in the low frequency range. You don't need to be playing up on the high notes. Um, pianos, you know, in the context of a band, you should stay out of the bass line. Um, electric guitars shouldn't be strumming like an acoustic guitar. Keyboard pad players should not be playing the keys like a classical piano. You have to know what your instrument's role is in the whole and uh, stay stick in that. Uh, because yeah. in the context of a band, you need to take your slice of the pie and and not step into other people's roles and frequent, frequency ranges. Yeah, and I think, uh, and you might get to this in a moment, but, um, you know, a role generally for a bass stays consistent, generally for the drums stays consistent and so on, but different songs call for different things. And I like to think of a song as either being electric guitar driven acoustic guitar driven piano driven or kind of rhythm driven so drums and bass and uh and so if there's if it's acoustic guitar driven you know they're playing the whole full chord the rhythm of the chord when everyone drops out they stay in and carry the song but then the very next song the piano may be the the instrument that drives the song so you know they're playing a little bit more full, right? And uh, and I like to really make that distinction when I'm leading with my team, and even I'll tell my sound guy, this is an electric guitar driven song. We want this hot, we want this present. But the very next song is a you know we do a song that's very rhythm driven, and so the drum there you know a whole verse goes by. It's just drums and bass, and maybe like one strum on the guitar it really carries the song. So know your role as it 
is in general, but also know your role as it pertains to that specific song, I think. Yeah, and even know your role for certain parts of songs yeah. because there are songs where I'll be like, this this verse is like, you know, drums and bass, you're the star of this moment. Mm. Like Tom, you know, Tom beat groove and a bass, like a straight eighth note bass line, you're the star of that moment, you know, and then it might get down later in the song and it's like we, we break it down to a soft chorus and the piano is the star of that moment, Yeah, right? So you need to know your role in the context of of your instrument of the context of a specific song and then even in the context of like specific parts of songs, like who's the star of each moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and something I want to say specifically to piano players, because most piano players uh, who learn classically will kind of play everything because they're the only instrument, right? They're playing this classical piece. They're playing the rhythm, the bass, the melody, even the harmonies. Yeah. Um, but when you start playing in a band, for those of you who are classically trained on the piano, you need to dramatically and drastically simplify. Mm. So like you remember the pie analogy. So when there's a bass player and a kick drum in the band, the low end rhythm is totally taken care of. So you can practically just sit on your left hand. Yeah. Um, and honestly, you don't really need it except for maybe occasionally playing some whole note octaves like to outline the chord changes. Yeah, or to add some extra emphasis or something. Yeah, and, and even in modern music, especially if you listen to the piano or the keys, it's it's taken on a totally different function. It's now more about the, it plays the catchy riffs. It plays mm-hmm. the hooks. It plays the, 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 the simple melody lines that you remember yeah. later on, either yeah. that or the electric guitar. But it's now the piano, instead of being the whole instrument, the whole band, it's taken on a very narrow role, but an important role of playing the lead parts. Yeah. Um, so if you're a piano player, start thinking that way. That's good. Okay, Brenton, I'd love for you to talk about uh, playing complementary rhythms. You did mm. a workshop at your church recently, and you did a really great job describing how um, you know multiple instruments should not all be playing the same rhythm at the same time. So, can yeah. you kind of just tell us about playing complementary rhythms? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, say there's a song that's uh, in four four, and uh, it's 120 BPM. You know, real standard. And the uh, song starts off nice and upbeat, and the kick drum is just going four on the floor, you know, boom, 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 one, two, three, four. You know, and he's doing that and really, really setting the tone for the song. Perhaps the bass is doing that also uh, um, would be pretty common. But think about uh, as a guitar player, perhaps, you know, acoustic guitar, you wouldn't want to also go if, if the first chord is an A, you know, A, A. A, A, and then the electric guitar, A, 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 and then the piano, A, you know what I mean? That's just going to get, you know, you're just going to want to, like you said, shoot me now, you know, it's going to, it's too much, it's overwhelming. It might be the foundation of the song, but it doesn't have to be reinforced and re-reinforced. And so, you know, a good exercise would to be would be to play, okay, if the kick and the bass guitar are playing quarter notes, Perhaps as an electric guitar player, you just play whole notes. So one strum per chord. Perhaps you've got some delay, some reverb that's going to really ring that chord out over the duration of the entire measure. As uh, an acoustic guitar player, a lot of people uh, uh, right now kind of liken the acoustic guitar almost to a shaker. You know, it's just got that underlying rhythmic. So they might be strumming 
uh, instead of you know a a they're just doing a strum pattern so mm -hmm. it's it's filling in even doing some eighth notes in between there uh, as a piano player you know you're not going to want to just pound pound you know perhaps you're doing something with some movement you know it's not just a whole note or just quarter notes but it's some type of riff that's yeah. that's floating da, 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 da. yeah floating over the rhythm so it's a little bit hard to describe without hearing it but hopefully you get the idea and what I what I try to instruct my team is you know hey think about not just the part you're playing and where you're playing but the rhythm in which you're playing you know you might start on whole notes and then kick it into quarter notes for the chorus, you know. And that's where thinking through each section is important as well. But, but you know, take the rhythm, find what's best, try different things. Don't be afraid to experiment and listen to your worship leader. If he wants you to do something different, she wants you to do something different. If you are the worship leader, think about this. Think about the rhythm. It's not enough just to hit the right chord. You also want to play with the right rhythm and feel. You know? Yeah, and with each other. Yeah. And, and if, it, like Brent said, if everyone's playing quarter notes, it's lame. Uh, and it's, or if everyone's playing eighth notes, like that's cluttered and crazy. Yeah. You, so you assign, okay, the bass and the drums are going to play uh, eighth notes. Dun, 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 dun. And the electric guitar is just going to strum. Ding! and let it ring and what that does is those complementary rhythms are creating space for each other yeah They're, and that's really important in music is creating that space yeah so oh, yeah. so Brent did a great job explaining just start thinking about it that way especially if you're the worship leader and you're in charge of arranging mm. um, stuff so let me kind of just go back and, and say uh, start thinking in parts start learning to listen uh, know your role Play complementary rhythms. And then the next thing uh, about playing in parts that hopefully will be helpful to you is uh, start using repeatable patterns. So play in repeatable patterns. Science has proven that our brains like music with patterns that repeat throughout. Mm. Uh, yeah, there's a study on it. It's really interesting. So Send that to me. Yes, repeatable patterns are key to making music that people like. Um, and if you listen to most popular music, you know, top 40 pop radio, you'll notice that like everything is a really basic pattern. So like the kick is just like the kick and snare be like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And if there's a variation, it'll be like really small and then it'll go back to the main pattern. Um, and as the song goes along to build the, the song in intensity, they just add to that basic pattern. They don't like mm. change it drastically, like some weird, you know, totally different kick pattern for the chorus. They just sl they might add a second kick, dun dun ka, dun ka, right? So you keep the pattern the same, but you kind of add to it subtly as the song grows in intensity. Um, they didn't create like a whole new pattern. So they, they just add extra hits or extra notes to the existing pattern. Um, or maybe they'll play the same pattern, like if it's a guitar part, they'll keep the pattern the same, but as the song builds in intensity, they'll play it up an octave higher. Um, Do you ever kind of experience some tension with that creatively? Like you want to do something different? As an arranger, but you feel like it would forsake kind of your goal of leading your church and worship? Um, no, I actually love repeatable patterns. Like I, I would much rather have a simple, memorable, repeatable pattern piano line 
that is playing over the chords mm-hmm. um, than try to do some weird, crazy, jazzy. I mean, I know you like jazz, yeah. but <laughs> sorry. But, yeah. But I'd rather keep it simple because the non musical folk in your church, they just need to like be able to feel the music and understand yeah. where it's going. Yeah. Um, but really, you know, simple and repeatable. And honestly, like if it's a piano line, it only needs to be two or three or four notes. And they kind of, it's a hook. And you need to think of it as like a repeatable pattern that is a hook. So for example, Mighty to Save has that piano line, or it's an electric guitar line. It's literally, it's three notes over and over. And then the chords are changing underneath it yeah so if you're a piano player or an electric guitar player you want to find a pattern that uses three or four notes that's repeatable it doesn't have to be as simple as that example but that can fit over the chord progressions underneath it because Mm. there's something about that that rhythm and that groove that it creates that makes you just kind of enter into that moment yeah so can i throw in something yeah totally um and if, if you at your church, I know a lot of modern worship music is very electric guitar driven. It's actually moving a little bit away from that, it seems now. Uh, some of it's going back to acoustic guitar. A lot of it's moving towards keys and synth stuff. But something that you could try if, uh, if you don't have a terribly experienced lead electric guitar player that's just nailing these parts is having the piano. You know, you mentioned My Day to Save, the piano line does this. Have the piano do the electric guitar part. Or if you've got a keys player, perhaps they could have some type of a synth tone, you know, mm-hmm. on their keyboard and have them do the electric guitar line. I'm an electric guitar player. I love electric guitar. I love worship electric guitar. But, uh, you know, sometimes I get a little burnout on it and I want to hear something else. And so I, a lot of times I'll I'll give my part to the keys player and say, hey, could you play that line? And uh, that can really freshen up the song sometimes, I think. Yeah, we don't typically have an electric guitar player at our church on Sundays at this point in our growth as a team. We don't have an experienced one that I feel comfortable, you know, putting up there. Um, so the piano player does play all of those those lines that you remember, for example, like Mighty to Save, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, or... Um, you know, I think a thousand times I fail. You no. Inside out. Inside out. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, I, he, my piano players play those lines for me um, and see how simple those lines are, but how catchy they are and mm. they work over the chords. That's what I'm talking about when I say repeatable patterns are powerful. So... Start thinking about your parts in that way. Yeah, that's yeah. great. I don't feel like I did a great job explaining it, but just start listening to modern music and you'll know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. Yeah. Okay, um, so the next thing about playing in parts is to keep it simple. Hmm. Keep it simple. Because if everyone is playing a simple complementary part, when you put those simple parts together then it makes a beautiful, cohesive, and intricate, well-crafted whole. Yeah. Um, But if everyone is playing like random, chaotic, not simple parts, then it leads to this ugly, chaotic whole. Yeah. So keep it simple. And something I tell my team often is just because you have the ability 
to play something complicated doesn't mean you should. Yeah. Right? Just because you can play something doesn't mean you should play something. Yeah. So you really need to, like, this is so important. Play what the song needs, not what you want. Ooh. <laughs> Sorry, I know that's going to hurt some feelings there, but play what the song needs, not what you want. Like, another way to say it is to serve the song. Yeah. You've heard that, yeah. right? Oh, serve yeah. the song. What does the song need? You don't yeah. need something elaborate. You don't need to do crazy drum beat. You don't need to play all over the keyboard. Sometimes, like, the simplest part is the best part. Yeah. Often. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I actually had a couple of thoughts on this, which which you may mention. But I think as this is especially difficult for skilled musicians. And, uh, and especially for those who are like a keys player, a stringed instrument player, like a violin or a cello, maybe a lead electric player, who typically doesn't hold down the chords and they're more playing riffs, playing lines, lead lines and things. What I've discovered happens for some for some people, and they don't even realize it's really happening, especially if you've got good monitors, as you're just playing the song and you're feeling it and you're just loving it, the band can become your personal backtrack. And suddenly you are just playing what's in your heart and you're just jamming and in your ears it sounds awesome. And you get caught up in this moment where, you know, it's like, it does sound good, but it's not necessary and it's not serving the song and it could really be distracting. And so I've actually told guys like, hey, I'm sensing this is happening. You're just hearing, you know, you've got everyone else kind of mixed a little bit lower. You got a good groove, a good rhythm, and you're just shredding over it. And uh, But that's not what we need. You yeah, know? it's not helping the song be what the song is called to be. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it really is about serving the song and not your ego or your desire just to play yeah it's like man i want to serve this song i want to serve my church and simplicity because when you put all the simple parts together it's a creative and cohesive whole you have to learn to be okay with how your part fits into the whole and what you're contributing to the whole not what you're playing but what are you contributing to the whole and that's what you need to start thinking about so an example of this is um, so I lived in Russia for two years and I met and married my wife there. Um, and so we watched some Russian TV and last week we were watching the Russian version of the voice ah, and, uh, the voice is like in every country at yeah, this point. It's called Golas. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> they have good singers there? They have great singers All there. Right. Yeah. And, uh, so I was watching for one song, the string section. I mean, these are like the best string players in Russia probably that they hired. Mm -hmm. And they're sitting there for the whole song. They're playing one note on the one count of each bar. Wow. So one, two, three, four, three, two, three, four, one, two. Like that's all they played um, for the whole song. And you know what? It made the song awesome. Yeah. Like because they were playing what the song was what the song needed, right? It didn't need any more than that, but it also didn't need any less than that. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the exact part that the song needed, and so that's exactly what they played. So again, simpler, guys, is better. Play what the song needs, not what you want. Um, or think of it this way. Don't be afraid if your part is boring. Yes. I, I've been here. You know, maybe at the beginning of this conversation we said, Think of a part for every section of every song. You know, you may have begun to get overwhelmed. Like, I've got to come up with these masterful lines that are just... Sometimes the part is you strum one chord. Mm -hmm. 
You know, sometimes, like you were describing with the strings, sometimes the part is a simple strum pattern. Sometimes the part is a simple, uh, you know, drum groove. And what I have to remember is when someone's worshiping God, enjoying the music we're leading, no one has got your guitar on solo with some headphones just listening to you and thinking, man, he's playing a really boring part, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no, but you are, yeah. you, you know, if, if you, if in your monitor, you probably got yourself turned up the loudest and, and you're thinking, man, this part is just so simple, just so, but you know, if it's what's right for the song and more often than not, it is just, you got to sacrifice that. Just do it. Don't, and just enjoy all that brain space that's freed up by playing the most basic thing. Worship God, you know, join your team and enjoy it. That's super good. So be bored is what Brendan said. (laughs) And, and the kind of a way that I put it to my team is to make each note count Mm. or make each hit count. Like if you're a drummer, like make sure it needs to be there. Yeah. And if it does, Play it like you mean it. Oh, yeah. You know, like play, put your heart and soul into that note at that point in the song. Yeah. But if it doesn't need to be there, don't play yeah. it. I know Eric Clapton's notorious for that concept. He's, he's said that many times just in his guitar playing. So, well, great minds think alike. Yeah, you. there you go. Yeah. You and Eric. <laughs> <laughs> so, and moving, moving uh, into a similar subject then of, of not being afraid to play boring stuff or not being afraid to not play. That's the next point. It's okay to not play. What? It's okay. Because <laughs> um, if you play, like we talked about in the beginning, if you play your instrument for the whole song, it's boring. And you're actually robbing your instrument of its special moment to shine. Yeah. Right? Um, instead of adding something special to the song when it comes in, it's actually taking away from the whole song because you've just been strumming and droning on the right. whole whole time. Because like, if you listen to some albums... There will, there will be an electric guitar that comes in on the last chorus. Yeah. And all it does is it strums these huge whole notes. Yeah. Like right when that last chorus comes in, you're wondering, dang, why does that chorus lift so much? Yeah. It because It's because that guy sat out for the whole song yeah. and then he came in when it needed to come in. Yeah. And it's like, oh man. Yeah. But, so, but he was patient to not play when he didn't need to be playing. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. Um, David Santa Stephen, who actually kind of inspired me to start this podcast, um, he's a great blogger and a great podcaster. If you don't know his stuff, like you need to get on it. Just Google for Beyond Sunday podcast. He's amazing. He wrote an article recently and he said, a great musician is always more aware of other musicians than himself. Wow. His only place is within the pocket of what the rest of the band is creating. He listens more than he plays. Mm. He adds only when it contributes to the feel. Love it. Thank you, David Santa Stephen. That article is amazing. Everybody should go to his blog um, as of January 2015 and check it out. Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but something about something all great musicians do. But that, that, article talks a lot about what we're talking about here. So, and that's really the difference between a player and a and a real strong kind of professional level player, you know. You know, lots of people can play, not a lot of people can listen and wait and, you know, and and, and that really makes the difference, I think. Yeah, a lot of people can play and not a lot of people know when they should play. Yeah. Like or what to play. Well like, said. Yeah. Like yeah. they they're listening to the context of the whole song and they're saying, Do I need to be in here? Nope. Uh, I should come in here and they know what to play at that moment. Yeah. And that's you're right, that's what makes a good musician 
uh, versus a mediocre musician. Yeah. So, okay, that was a lot of content, and I don't want to keep everybody here too long. There's not really anything else we want to cover, but I do want to just kind of go through um, the main points again. One is start thinking in parts, okay? Just start thinking in a new paradigm. Two is start learning to listen. Go and listen to your favorite bands, favorite albums, and just pick apart and analyze what they're doing and why each section of the song feels the way it does. The third thing is know your role, know what your instrument is capable of doing and what it should be doing, and don't try to do what other instruments are made to do. Uh, Play complementary rhythms um, so that you're not all doing the same thing. Think in repeatable patterns because they're powerful and catchy and they help... um, add layers and textures Mm. to your music and then keep it simple. Um, Don't be too busy because there's a lot of you. Make sure your slice of the pie is small and then be okay with not playing. Um, The only other thing I would really add is just like give it space. Let the song breathe and just enjoy the music. Let the song be what it's called to be. Have a vision for it. Um, and if your worship leader doesn't have a vision for it, ask them, mm-hmm. and maybe they can start thinking about that. So, yeah. any concluding thoughts, my friend? Man, all of that is so good, and and I'm just excited for the worship leaders, the worship musicians who are going to listen to this podcast and take this and start implementing it. I mean, it's just it it, it will make an immediate difference in your team, and so this is great. Thanks for doing this, Alex. Yeah, thanks for being with me. All right, everybody, thank you, and we will talk to you soon. All right, some super helpful and practical stuff there for you and your team. Um, If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with people you think it might be useful to, whether that's your team members, maybe it's your worship leader, maybe it's the worship leader down the road. Just share this content so that more churches can be blessed by it. And uh, we would love for you to leave a five-star review for us on iTunes. It would take you about 35 seconds to do that. That would be super helpful for us to get the content into more people's ears and minds and hearts. And also, if you want to connect with us on Twitter, it's at worshipteampod, at worshipteampod, P-O-D. All right. Well, God bless you this week as you lead worship and lead your church to focus and fix their hearts and minds on Christ and sing to him loudly and gladly and boldly. God bless you, and we will be back with another episode soon. So won't you carry me?